Welcome to episode one of the Farhi Media Podcast. This is the Student of Life Podcast, where we talk about just life lessons that we picked up along the way. Uh, we introduce uh, other speakers on this podcast talking about topics such as personal accountability, uh, finance, taxes, literally anything that you need to know in order to live a successful life. So here we go. Uh, I'm your host, David Farhi. Welcome. Jacob Danis, who's going to be my first interviewer. Thank you so much for your time. Let's get started. Absolutely. So going into personal ownership, because that is usually the point of development where most people start at. And if they never make that realization, they don't really go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I guess start off with what woke you up and kind of gave you that... um, viewpoint where you're like, okay, I need to take ownership for my life. And how would you translate that over to giving advice to other people so they can get started? Sure. So I think the starting point for any of these types of conversations is when you start to notice a pattern. When you you begin to notice a pattern in your life where things are not going the way that you want them to, uh, either in relationships and in your finance and your work life and whatever it is in your health, um, it raises a red flag. And so most often what happens is as soon as someone notices that there's a pattern, Generally, a friend recommends and says, hey, you should check this out. Um, Sometimes if you have enough self-awareness, you notice it in yourself, you say it, all right, you should go check this out. Um, I always advocate for a third party. The third party that made me aware of or titled um, the personal accountability thing for me um, was my business coach, Andrew Stern. Um, He's an absolute legend. And the way that he positioned it to me is that, um, hey, you're playing the game of life from the stands. You're not playing on the court. You're watching from the stands when you need to be playing on the court. And what that means for me is how much am I taking responsibility? How much am I actually playing the game of life? How much am I waiting to see how all all the different factors in life match themselves up in a way that's advantageous to me? And I think that the the catalyst for any sort of success is the recognition that you have, you and you, you yourself, you and you alone have the capacity to change anything that you want. If you want to change your health, if you want to change your, your financial situation, your relationships, it's, it all begins with you. Um, for me, I think it started with me having what I call the save me complex. Um, I romanticized the idea of someone coming in and helping me out when I first started this business. Uh, I had brought someone else in to the business to, to help me out. Unco- subconsciously, I brought the person in for a f- certain financial security that if things would, would run amok, he already had a successful business, he would help out in the process. Um, I think that learning to take responsibility myself and say, you know what, I have this, I can I can handle this, I can figure this out, um, was the, the beginning of Farhi Media as we know it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think that, you know, that, that concept of personal accountability, I, th- I don't think that you can ever really assume control over the outcomes in your life until you spend the time getting to know what the blockers are for yourself. Mm-hmm. What areas in your life are not being optimized because you don't have the tools or the awareness to remove those things that are preventing you from getting what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie Harari has this idea of unlocking uh, unlocking greatness from within, and the idea behind it is, is straightforward. It's you're born great, you have everything going for you, um, I believe that in terms of Judaism as well, I think the concept is there, which is that we have a godly part of us inside of us, and God is not bound by space or time. So if you are someone who is who, who recognizes that and taps into that strength and that power, um, you can accomplish anything. So I, I do think that any sort of success, and going back to answer your question, I think that going back to to any sense of success, any sort of success in life, always comes down to how much of that inner energy, of the inner 
um, unbound, limitless energy that's godly are you tapping into mm -hmm. and are you getting in your own way? How much of it is you expecting someone else to tap into that for yourself? And how much is, is it you going deep down and pulling that greatness from within? Mm -hmm. So I, I love that idea of us, essentially when you wake up, you recognize your godly potential. You recognize how much time you're losing, which is usually something that <clears throat> motivates you to move. What do you think and maybe do it in the context of your own life, what do you think is the number one thing that really holds people back from recognizing that? How come almost it's like a, it's like a sleepiness? That's why they call it awakening. Mm -hmm. What do you think keeps people in that sleepiness for a long time? Or from making that realization of their own potential? I think it's scary. Okay. I think it's scary to know that you and you alone are the only cause of everything that's going wrong in your life. Mm -hmm. Um... I think you can blame it on whoever, but I've known people that have had really difficult lives and they, they've overcome. They've, they've transported themselves to a whole other reality where they were just killing it. And I think that the place of where it starts is in the recognition that no one's coming to save you. It's all on you. You got to figure it out. I, I, do, I do struggle with this idea with regard to the concept of um, personal responsibility versus belief in God coming in and helping, you know, and, 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 and I think the word is hishtadlut, which is um, how much do you believe in divine providence and how much do you believe in, um, I guess, personal... Uh, faith versus action. Faith versus action, exactly. So I think that... I think that in this type of in this type of context, I I do think that people get stuck in thinking that God is just going to come and save them, mm -hmm. but meanwhile, God wants one thing from you, to be more godly. Mm -hmm. So, I, I think that the again, if that's my understanding of the whole idea, and I, I I wouldn't I'm not going to profess to be an expert in it. I do think that when it comes down to it, if you're asking yourself honestly, how much am I being godly in my interactions? How much am I pushing myself to be limitless? Mm -hmm. I think at that point, that's when you give it up to God. If you feel like you have everything, you've given everything that you possibly could to be godly, and then at that point, you're like, I, I can't go anymore. I really don't have it in me. At that point, that's when you say, okay, I'm leaving it up to God. God's going to move around things the way that he needs it to. Um, I, I definitely found this in business as well, where things, you know, let's say cash flow is tight or um, I had a difficult situation with an employee. Um, I think that the, 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 the idea of let go and let God is something that definitely plays a role in my life. And I think that when it comes down to personal accountability and personal ownership, at which point, I think, I think this is the biggest challenge of at which point do you let go and at which point do you let God? Mm -hmm. And I think that that crossroad, that place, that transition, that transitory period actually happens a lot later in the let go part. Mm -hmm. um, I think that you need to push yourself a lot, a lot further than we necessarily think we can. Uh, I think we're hardwired to keep it safe, to play it safe. We're risk averse as humans. Um, we don't see the full upside in letting go and letting God. So I, I do think that there's a lot, there's some personal work. And I think that, you know, in every interaction that I have in business, I think that I, I, I take a, a step back and I say, okay, how much, how much am I pushing, my, pushing myself pers personally? Mm -hmm. How much am I pushing myself personally to really work on me and taking responsibility for me and how I show up in the conversation? and owning the way that I showed up and the things that I've done. I think that, you know, in relationships also, um, I learned this in dating, you know, I, I, I've always said that, you know, whenever I hear a divorced couple say, oh, he was crazy or she was crazy, my, my first instinct is you're both crazy. Mm -hmm. You both have parts that you contributed to the relationship. You both have either 
purpose purposely or um, mistakenly or by mistake um, push the trigger points of the other human of the other person. And again, humans are human. When you press their trigger points, they're going to react. You can't just expect that people are going to be you know um, just perfect all the time. It's just not it's not realistic. Mm-hmm. So I do think that the again the, the 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 catalyst for any sort of growth opportunity in life is taking a look inward and saying. Can I own this? And if I can own this, what am I doing to make sure that I'm taking full responsibility for every part of the equation? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the things that you know. And dating as well. I think this. I always go back to dating because I think it's it's the it's the um, I think it's the most human version representation of relationship with God. So wherever you check yourself with you and God, you check yourself with you and people around you. Um, humans at the, are at the highest point within the within this within this universe. Um, so I think that that I think that when human to human interpersonal relationships are 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 having struggle, I think that you should ask yourself a question always of how did I contribute to however this relationship did not go the way that it should have or how we wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so, what I think. Yeah. Going off of that, do you think that personal relationships is almost the first place to start for accountability or it could start elsewhere let's say with finances or it could start with fitness or something like that or do you think I I personally think it started with my relationship with God and my relationship with myself that's where accountability really came into the picture I was like I really need to take care of myself that's a huge part of it so do you think relationships is the catalyst like that's the the topic that usually pushes people in the right direction I don't think so I think it's segmented um Stephen Covey has this idea of the four quadrants of life, you know, the physical, the spiritual, social slash emotional, and the mental. I do think it's segmented, and I do think that the catalyst for your growth down this journey is going to be segmented based on the stressors in your life. So, for example, if you've been hurt in relationships, that's where you'll start. If you've been hurt with finances, that's where you'll start. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that, you know, for definitely for a lot of immigrants, the stressor is, is finance. I think that for a lot of, like for my dad, for example, I think that when he first came to the States and figuring that piece out, I think that most immigrants, most people that are quote unquote off the boat, I think where they start is finances and they they may or may not get to the other quadrants of life. Um, I know personally, it started off in business and finance for me, of me, you know, romanticizing the idea that, you know, my dad's connections in the community will maybe come help me. Um, I think that as soon as I let that go, and I was like, you know what, this is all on me. If I want to be successful in life, I need to figure out a way to take complete ownership Will he help me? Maybe. Will he? Maybe not. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, I think that that level of ownership and that movement away from the save me complex led me to um, other areas of my life. I think that, you know, in a significant relationship of mine, you know, the girl I was dating pointed out that, you know, the same level of personal ownership and accountability I had in, with regards to business, um, I was neglecting in health and I was neglecting in spirituality. Um, and that led me down an entire path of like, okay, now now I need to figure out those other areas. And I think that I definitely have done that. And I, I, I do think that the human the human brain is only capable of focusing on so much at once. Um, so I did see a little bit of a drop down in terms of accountability and ownership within business as soon as I started focusing on relationships and health, um, if that makes sense. I think so, because... It's almost like if you break your life into life categories Mm -hmm. and you see one is it's turning into a 10. You're doing a sick job with your health. You're busting in the gym every day. You're eating really well. And then all of a sudden you start to see, wow, this part of my life is doing well. 
all these other parts are, are suffering, though. And then all of a sudden you're able to turn your attention to other places. So that makes sense to me. Um, I did want to ask you about, because you mentioned it very briefly for a second, the relationship between basically pain, suffering, and then accountability comes from there. Is that always correlated with each other? Do they, does it have to be that way? I'm not sure. I don't okay. know. I, I don't know. I think it could be. I think it could be intellectual. I think that you can be intellectually honest enough to rec- recognize that you are the one who's responsible to to grow that area of your life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think in any sales meeting that I have, I always try to bring up the idea of, you know, is this product that I'm going to be selling you is this a is, is this a vitamin or a painkiller? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in life in general, there's always that aspect: is this a vitamin or a painkiller? Like a vitamin is used to keep you up and up and up and going. Mm-hmm. But a painkiller is there to remove a painful aspect. So I do think that pain is definitely a strong driver. But I do think that the knowledge that there could be more out there mm-hmm. um, is definitely a, a significant driver in most people's lives as well. Okay. What tools do you think are best? Read. Grow Read. Reading. Read. Number one. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I think I think you need to read, and I think you need to um, have some people that you look at their life and you say, "I want elements of that." Um, I think you need, I think, I don't even need, I don't, I think they can be, you know, I think they can be um, silent mentors. Like, for example, I have a lot of mentors on Twitter. They don't even know my name, mm-hmm. right? But I follow them and I look at their life and I'm like, oh, the things that they post about their life, obviously. And I say, you know, that's, that's something that I really want. Like, I, I saw this uh, a couple of days ago on LinkedIn on someone's profile. They were mentioning their, their morning day. And it's something that I've always thought about, which is, you know, build your ideal day before you get there. You know, what does my life look like when I'm married with children, right? Uh, and in his in his day that he in his morning that he had posted, you know, he included that he went to to the gym and then to learn and to pray, and then um, he came home and actually sent his kids off to school. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a a mentor of mine. He'll never know that I'm that I look at that. I'm like, yeah, that's a confirmation that what I want is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's an element of representation that people need to see out there. Um, I saw this, you know, in, in the in the advertising world with regards to a brand that, you know, position models who have bodies that are not model-like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, one of the points that they were making, that the mental health community was making, was people need to see bodies that look like theirs. Mm-hmm. I, I think that with regard to this is that people need to see lifestyles that look like their aspirational lifestyles. Mm-hmm. You need to see that someone else is, it's, that it's possible. Um, I think the proof for this is that you know, in, in, with regard to the, you know, I think the, the major proof of this, I forgot where I read this, but um, the marathon times, right? The strongest, the fastest marathon times mm-hmm. were beat by a couple people. And after a number of years, um, those those best, at, let's say 1950, let's say the time was at four, was at four hours, right? Mm-hmm. People were struggling to beat that four hour mark. Let's just say that's the number, right? Um, I'm sure we would have loved to have a fact checker here, but we don't. So, you know, let's say it's a four hour, a four hour mark. People were struggling to get there. And then as soon as one person broke that, three people broke it and five people broke it the next year. And at this point, four minute mile, the four minute mile, exactly. Four minute Mm -hmm. mile. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I think that as soon as people see representation of something that they believe is aspirational to be possible, Mm -hmm. they see it happen in someone else. As soon as they see that pull through in in, in real life, that's when they believe that, that it's possible. Mm -hmm. So. That, that is also why I think that, you know, in, in, in the social media world, everyone's obsessed with Elon Musk because he shows what's possible, even though it seems so far-fetched and so out of, out of whack for what we believe in. And I, Real I think life that, Tony Stark. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I do think that having aspirational role models, even if they don't know who the heck you are, matters. Mm-hmm. 
and then reading kind of helps you fill out your almost your grounding philosophy so that you can move in that direction i think reading helps you learn i think you need to be someone who consistently reads um i get a lot of um i mean it sucks to be the guy that admits this but like i wish i wrote more i wish i was a- i wish i was able to write content down in a way where I could show clarity of thought because I'm someone who definitely likes to structure ideas in my brain mm-hmm. um, and then to write them. And I, and I have written, I don't know, at some point I wrote over 100 articles of, of personal development in Torah. But I think that when it comes down to um, the day-to-day, I think that, like specifically now, I wish I wrote more. I wish I could say I wrote an hour a day. I met someone a couple weeks ago at a Shabbat dinner and he was like, yeah, I spend, before I go home to my wife and, and my kid, I think he's a kid, um, he said that he sits down for 45 minutes and just writes. And I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm envious of that. I, I would love to do that. Um, that's something that I definitely think is going to be something that I'm going to implement into my life as soon as things get a little bit more settled mm-hmm. with the business. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So those are three, just to recap, three big tools, which were reading, kind of seeing other people act as inspiration, and yeah. then a little bit of writing if that's up your alley. Yeah. So transitioning into being a man and kind of – how important it is personal ownership to living your life as a man. It's it's almost those two ideas are, are tied together. So do you want to unpack that a little bit? Sure. I, I definitely think this should be an, an entire you know episode in and of yeah. itself. <clears throat> I'll I'll give the precursor to it and how I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a big believer that you know that there is there are two forces in this world, the masculine and the feminine. Mm-hmm. That's not to be confused with male and female. I'm not even gonna get into that. I think that the masculine and feminine energies um, each have their own strengths and weaknesses, and then I think the goal is to figure out a way to complement both of them together. I think that the masculine energy is one of a visionary, mm-hmm. um, and I think that I don't think the right word for it is personal accountability and ownership. I think the right word is in terms of being a strong man. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of the words in, in masculinity get like thrown around. I don't think they make any sense, but I think that with regard to being a man in this world, you need to have a vision. You know, you need to be able to walk into the conversation, at least in some areas of your life, and say, this is what I aspire to be, and this is how I want to, to lead my life. Um, I, would love to bring, I would love to bring together a number of people underneath me, together with me, and grow together with the shared alignment and vision, um, shared aligned vision together to, to grow a family, to grow a business, to grow a community, whatever it is. Um, and I think that one of the hardest parts, and what, what kind of makes people alpha males, um, I get I post about that on social media. I get killed for that one. Um, alpha male is toxic. Oh my god, shut up! But with regard to what makes someone alpha is someone who's capable of taking their vision and letting their vision dictate how their community moves with them, but at the same time also holding themselves solely responsible for any of the mess ups along the way. So they take responsibility. They're not responsible for the other person's screw ups, but they're responsible for their own. And into the sense that, you know, like I'll give you an example in, in terms of business. I always ask myself, if anything ever goes wrong in this business, I always ask myself this question. I'm like, where did I, where, where did I fall short? Because if you're not asking that, you're not alpha. And I don't, I'm not saying that I'm alpha. I'm saying that I aspire to be alpha. I aspire to lead people with me, take people with me. Um, I think that I'm in the growth phase. I think that one day, hopefully, at some point, I don't think that you ever get to coin yourself alpha. I think other people coin you that. But I think that you definitely need to live your life in a way where um, – you have a certain vision and people are able to rally behind that to achieve incredible, incredible outcomes. Mm-hmm. 
So is there is there a line that's too far in personal accountability? Like you said before, other people make mistakes, but you can't really take responsibility for that. Or can you take responsibility for that? Like where where is that dividing line? Interesting question. I think toxic blame. Okay. Um, I think as soon as the the as soon as the the conversation changes from, okay, I understand what I did wrong. I owned it. I apologize for it. As soon as that transitions over into I'm now ashamed because of what I've done, mm-hmm. that's when you've gone too far. Mm-hmm. Because shame will never help you. It, it's designed to help you. I think there's a, a practical and fundamental reason why God created shame. Mm-hmm. Um, it's to push you away. It's like it, I think that's the barrier where God's like, all right, you went too far, turn around now. Okay. You know, that's, that is what I think of shame. But yeah, I think that's, that is where you've gone too far. I think when as soon as you start to beat yourself up about it and feel like you're less than worth worth less because of the fact that you've made mistakes or you've done things. I think that's when you know you've gone too far in the personal accountability arena. Mm. So this is interesting. Just from the way you're speaking about accountability, it almost it almost sounds like it's a skill. Is Absolutely. it a skill? Absolutely. Like also just connected to this. Do you think confidence and accountability are both skills that come together? Are you asking if they're causative or correlative? Correlative. Yeah. So as one grows the other, you can't really go with one without the other one following along. I think that confidence, and this is something I struggle, I struggle with confidence. I think that confidence actually comes from something else. I think that confidence is when your internal beliefs and the external reality match up. So as you start to realize that the things that you believe about yourself and the external reality, what you're hearing from the outside world are coming together, I think that's when you start to really develop a full confidence. I think until then, you still are going to somewhat rely on other people's opinion of you. And I think that you know, that's healthy to some degree. Um, I, I do think that the way that God created the world where, you know, you have parents have children and children rely on parents for everything, all their needs, and that transitions over to friendship. And then at some point that becomes you and you alone. Um, it, it, it That philosophy, I think, gets a little bit muddled when you start to talk about, you know, how marriage and relationships show up in the Jewish world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I have a pretty decent understanding of how, how it all plays together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I remember since you talked about seven habits before, Stephen Covey, yeah. that's a dependence, independence, and then interdependence. Yes. So that's once you become an independent person, now you can work within a unit, a family, exactly. a community, that kind of thing. But going back to the original question of confidence and accountability being a skill, besides for those three tools that we used before, and you're talking about how you kind of use them as skills is that, you think, a way to present it to other people of you should view accountability as a skill and that way you can kind of level up? Maybe skill's the wrong word. Maybe it's muscle. Okay. Um, that you need to tear it down and it needs to break itself down. You need to get to a point where you can no longer go mm-hmm. and from there it starts to build again. Um, I definitely found that in my own life. Like there have been times when <clears throat> I left the office, I went home, and I just I sat on the side of my building just crying. I couldn't handle it. And that was a breaking point for me. And then I grew from there. And then, you know, I've had that multiple times in in my life where you hit a certain point where you feel like you cannot go on. And at that point, you just take a rest. You don't quit. You take a rest and you let the muscle rebuild itself and you keep on going. Um, I met with a with an with an, you know, an, an exec, a former exec at some massive fashion company that I used to I used to love. Still do. But um, and I asked her, what are, what are the keys to success? And she said, you know, be fearless and keep moving. Um, I think that that's the key to life. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think it's it's this most simple and succinct way to think about the world. Just mm-hmm. keep on going at it. Like you're not, you know, you're not you're going to continuously get better, and that's okay. You know, your goal is not to 
win the game every time. It's to perfect your technique. And as soon as you perfect your technique, as soon as you perfect your character, I think the world aligns itself to provide you the value that you that you sought. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a very personal question from me. I think almost any conversation we're going to have, yeah, eventually, like you said before, a lot of conversations will go into the dating world. Yeah, a lot of conversations will end up being about God, and then a lot of conversations will also be about fear. Because that, that word is, it's super tricky to understand fear. And I think a lot of life you're always working out, kind of developing a relationship with your own fear. So I guess just talk a little bit about how accountability and, and fear are also connected to each other and kind of how you build a relationship with fear, how you need those breakdowns to happen to realize, okay, I actually can move past this. I can handle this. That's, I think, is a huge tool in helping people kind of think about their own fear. Yeah, so um, brings me back to my nephew's bar mitzvah. I got up to speak, and he was he decided last minute that he wanted to speak, but he's a, bit, a little bit afraid. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Pardon me. And so I got up and I, I started talking about um, a concept that I think is fundamental. Um, it has its origins in the por- in the story of Purim, where when living life, you need to understand and know that everything is at stake. But at the same time, sti- at the same time, at the same time, I think you need to approach it as if nothing matters. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's how Mordechai comes up to Esther and says to her, "If it's not you, it's going to be anyone. Mm-hmm. Like the world is going to continue. The things are things are going to keep moving without you. So either you can step up to the plate and do it." And she was at the point of breaking, and he said, "Like why, why are you breaking now? Either it's going to be you, or it's going to be someone else. It's going to happen." So I do think that the way to to get over fear is to to intellectually know that everything is at stake, but to emotionally feel like nothing really matters. It's okay. Things are, things are just gonna happen. They're gonna hire a client anyway. They're gonna date someone anyway. They're gonna love anyway. Right? Everyone is, you're gonna love anyway. Like every, everyone's gonna have the pieces that, that they need in their life to, to come about. Either it's gonna be now or it's gonna be later and it's up to you to sort of take the, the jump forward and, and make that happen. And ultimately I think that, you know, when Esther does go ahead and do that and she does lead with that point, of saying, you know, nothing matters. It's a, if it's not me, it's someone else. It's not. This isn't personal. As soon as you start to, as soon as you move it away from it being personal, mm-hmm. I think you have that that success there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that you know, like for example, in dating, right? Uh, I think that you know, one of the things they talk about in, in dating culture is the, con- the the concept of the cold approach, right? How do you walk up to a woman and say, "Hey, I'd love to take you out," right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when you when you think about it too much, you get into the headspace of what's she going to think about me? How does she feel about me? Does she find me attractive? Do I work in finance? Like all those stupid questions you ask yourself mm-hmm. before you approach that person are really questions of this really matters. Mm-hmm. And you, you get all in your head and you don't approach them because mm-hmm. in your mind, you're like, this person's not going to interact with me. But in reality, this woman's going to be approached by 50 people a day. Mm-hmm. You're a blip on her radar. She doesn't care. No one cares. <laughs> Nothing matters. That's kind of how I, how, I, how I view this. So this, this next part is about how you have reached a level where at least you're aware of how you need to be responsible for yourself, mm-hmm. but you find yourself interacting with a lot of people who aren't or are maybe in some ways sleepy a little bit or they're sleepwalking through their life a little bit. How do you kind of interact with those people, especially... First, talk about people, maybe it's in a business relationship, you're not so close with them, and then when it's in a more immediate relationship. Um, it's a great question. 
one, I don't think it matters. I don't think it has any effect on how I show up in the conversation. Mm-hmm. I think I'm human, so I'll, I'll, I'll definitely approach the conversation from a place of less interest. It does definitely bother me. I try not to go to the places that make me feel less energy when I walk out of them mm-hmm. um, due to the fact that I'm interacting with people who just don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also learned that you kind of need to be humble. You, you know, there's a word called sonder, which is the moment you realize that everyone else around you is going through some really complex life, probably just as complex as yours. And so there's no judgment to it. I, th- I think that as soon as personal accountability meets judgment, you know you have a problem, right? It's an ego problem. You're getting into your own head. You think that you have it all figured out and, you know, you deserve to be admired for what you've done. I don't think it's true. I think that... Um, you know, going through life with personal accountability means that you give people the leeway that they need in order to show up as their full selves. Um, it's to hold yourself accountable and to lead by example. It's never to talk condescendingly down to them and say, you need to do this. Some people are not ready to do that in their lives, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely struggle with this in my own family. When I, I have some people in my family that haven't taken responsibility for certain areas of their life, and I, I want to say, like, hey, get it together. And I think I have slipped up a couple times, but it doesn't bode well. No one ever wants to hear from someone else, hey, you yourself are the reason why things are not working. Mm -hmm. So I would hold off on that. I would just say just focus on yourself, you know, stay in your lane and just work on the areas in your life that you need to take responsibility for. Mm -hmm. I think that as you start taking more and more responsibility for yourself, people around you realize that, hey, if he could change it, so can I. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I definitely do think that lead by example matters. One of the things that I I, I think about in terms of health that I – I mean, I say this on dates, it's not to impress anyone, it's just the truth, which is I'm getting control of my health now. I mean, I wear this Oura ring, I have a CGM that I, I track every single day to check my blood sugar. Um, I think that my obsession with health now is that so that when I'm 30 and I have a child, I can play with them and not be out of breath, right? And when I'm 35 and my child wants to play baseball, that I could actually be in the backyard with them playing sports. Um, I think you need to lead by example. I think that getting becoming part of sports teams is important for your, I mean, at least for your male children, for sure. Um, sports is something that's definitely something that children need to see their dads or, you know, role models involved in. Um, so for me not to take care of my health now, I'm just looking 10 years ahead and saying, okay, in 10 years from now, I'm going to have a problem. Let me figure that out now. At 26, I'm going to have a lot more success and faster success at getting it under control than I will at 35. So this is a question about humility, because I noticed this when I first got into the self-development world, mm-hmm. where as you pick up all of this really awesome knowledge, and then you start seeing yourself progress, you, you really badly just want to get other people to, you almost like want to shake them a little yeah. bit. So how, how do you keep yourself away from that? I, you just said you got to lead by example, which I thoroughly believe is absolutely true, but how did you kind of bring the humility in and kind of keep it as to uh, first I need to get myself together and when they're ready, they'll come. Great question. Um, I don't think you can ever fully shake someone out of their sleep. Mm -hmm. I think that what I've learned in the past year and a half of me doing this personal development work with Andrew and you know, my therapist, Ahuva, um, I think that through the time that I've spent on it, I've started to realize that 
no one else really cares. Everyone's really busy on their, you know, with their own lives. And if you bring it, you bring awareness to them in a, in a direct way, they're not going to pick it up from you. Um, and so I've sort of shifted my model. Someone asked me on social yesterday, like, why I ask questions on, on my story? Like, do I actually care about what people have to say? And the answer is I do care about what people have to say. But more so, I think that when you start to bring awareness to people's minds. So, again, the concept is you don't know what you don't know. But as soon as you know what you don't know, what you, di what you didn't know, as soon as you know what you didn't know, now you have an opportunity to figure out for yourself if you want to make that change. So I think that the, the first step in really helping anyone else is just to make them aware that this concept exists. Once they know that it exists, they can then go figure it out for themselves. I think the best example of this is a good friend of mine who I saw recently in Miami. Um, she had lost a ton of weight and she looked incredible. And I walked over to her and I was like, you look amazing. How are you? She said, I'm, I'm doing well, and I've, I've figured out that, you know, this is something that's happening in my body, and this is, for this reason, um, you know, something is not working. And that sort of opened my mind up, okay, if that's the case, then X, Y, Z is also true, and, and A, B, C is also true. And that led me to start testing my own blood sugar on a consistent basis and learning that taking a blood test, I have, a full, I have a phlebotomist that comes to the office and does a blood test on me. I get to see my actual fasting insulin levels, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy. I can't lose weight because my fasting insulin levels are so high. It's literally telling my body, do not let go of fat under any circumstances. Mm -hmm. So it was just one conversation that wasn't even related to me. Like I can't take the same, I can't take the same diet that she had. It won't work. It's direct. It's really personal. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you know that something else exists out there, your own brain, if you're someone who's curious and you care to, to grow your own life and figure out how to live the best life possible, mm -hmm. you can go and explore that on your own. I think that's the model that I would, I would say. Um, I think that that's the thing that keeps you operating from a place of humility. I think it's the thing that keeps you from, op you know, it, it keeps you, you know, confined to operating from a place of focusing on oneself and one's own growth as opposed to trying to fix the world and fix everyone else's problems because you can never do that. You, can't, mm -hmm. you just can't. Mm -hmm. So that, Does think, that resonate? Yes, yeah. that makes sense. I think this will be the last question, even though this topic that I'm going to bring up is like a billion podcasts that we could bring it into because yeah. it's so it's such a large topic so what you just talked about how you met your friend who you haven't seen for a long time yeah. and she discovered something that's working great for her which almost made you realize there's more options out there yeah that is in my mind from what i understand is part of what education is and a huge fundamental like the the idea that has to underpin all education to me is you are responsible to learn. And without you being aware enough to meet your friend and be like, okay, there's more options for me out there. All of that is basically the intro to the question of how do you introduce this into education for younger people of personal accountability? It's a great question. I, I think it's tough because when you first start down the journey of your own education, there are many societal and familial influences, familial influences that sort of dictate how you're going to join the education process. Mm -hmm. um, I struggle with this one a lot. I think we should do an, uh, you know, an episode on yeah, this one. We, we, have, we um, have one on this. It's oh, we do? Okay. What is the definition of education? Oh, amazing. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's just save that for then. Um, okay. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming to the first episode of the... Farhi Media Podcast uh, with David Farhi as your host and the Student of Life uh, channel that we're going to be running. Um, stay tuned for more. Stay tuned for episode two, three, four, five, six, seven, and ad infinitum. 
Thank you, Jacob Danis, for joining me in today's episode. It's good to be here. Really appreciate it. And uh, see you soon. Uh.